Hello and welcome to One Digital's COVID-19 Employer Advisory Podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to provide business leaders with the latest commentary on evolving business and economic news that impacts healthcare, business, and the workplace. In each episode, our One Digital advisors will be addressing evolving coronavirus situations, translating them for employers so they can be proactive for their organizations and develop their business planning strategies. Good afternoon and welcome to today's COVID-19 Small Employer Advisory Session. I'm Tom Weimer, the National HR Consulting Practice Leader for One Digital. Before we begin, on behalf of the more than 2,000 employees at One Digital, I want you to know how much we really appreciate the time and energy you're investing with us today. These are challenging times for us all, and we know that your time is valuable. Today, I'm joined by an esteemed panel of my colleagues from our Charlotte, North Carolina office. We have Julie Vogus, Regional Managing Director. We have from our Boston office, Rebecca Blake, Principal, HR Consulting Services. And from our Irvine, California office, Jamie Webb Akasaka, Vice President and Legal Counsel. So let's start with some good news. It does appear that the coronavirus pandemic is beginning to stabilize. According to the Center for Disease Control, nationally, visits to outpatient providers and emergency departments for illnesses with symptoms consistent with COVID continue to decline and are reaching below baseline in many areas of the country. However, we know from health experts that this will be a gradual process, even as we see cases decrease. Today, we also heard that as many as 30 states across the country will be opening business in some limited fashion. Again, good news, but it still leaves employers with many questions of how to do this in the best interest of their people. Our session today is focused on looking ahead. We know that employers across the country are contemplating how to implement a safe and successful return to work. Since the start of the pandemic, one Digital has been committed to providing the latest commentary on the evolving pandemic, and we've worked hard to provide useful tools and resources for business and HR leaders to address the rapidly changing and evolving challenges in this environment. As part of our ongoing efforts to bring you the best and latest information, these advisory sessions have been developed to address your most pressing questions and concerns. Many of you submitted questions when you registered. And you can submit questions in the Zoom Q&A box at the bottom of your screen throughout the, the presentation. We'll answer as many of those during our time as we can today. But I encourage you, if you have more questions, to visit our One Digital Coronavirus Advisory Hub at onedigital.com forward slash coronavirus. There you can submit additional questions for our COVID-19 advisory support team, as well as to your dedicated One Digital consultant. Keep in mind that questions specific to state law are best held for your one digital consultant directly as they vary by state and guidance at this point is very fluid. All attendees today will receive an email with a recorded version of this session. As business leaders, we've been faced with decisions and challenges that we never imagined and unfortunately, in most cases, we've never planned for. Using the best and most current public guidance, along with our deep HR and workforce management experience, our HR consulting team has developed and continues to develop new tools and processes to help us along the road to recovery. Mm -hmm. Our strategic HR recovery plan examines eight core elements of your business's current state and identifies any gaps and opportunities to mitigate risk and to help your business successfully re-engage your workforce. 
those areas that we focus on are the following. Leadership and culture, communication, workforce and staffing, policy structure, total rewards, which is compensation and benefits, safety and wellness, HR technology and operations, and training and development. In addition to the recovery plan process, which takes a very deep dive into your specific business, our team has developed a comprehensive toolkit with resources, templates, and detailed information that, you will, that will immediately help you restart your operation and get your employees back to work and re-engaged. Today, with this panel of HR and compliance experts, we'll answer the broad question, are you ready? And we'll also answer, uh, address a number of other important questions that you have in preparation for getting your teams safely back to work and introduced to what we now know as the new normal. So right now, I'd like to turn our attention to our panel of experts and address the topics and questions that we're hearing from you. The first area we want to, uh, want to explore is the big question of the day, and the one that everybody's asking about. When can the recovery begin, and what does this look like? Jamie, when can we get our employees back to work? Thanks, Tom. Well, the answer is when you can provide for their safety. So many states are looking at loosening lockdown and social distancing restrictions. And while that may be a relief to some, employers must next assess whether they can keep their employees safe. So regardless of when federal or state governments may allow businesses to operate, employers still have legal obligations under federal or state uh, law to keep their employees safe. Failure to do so could lead to government prosecution, fines, employee damages, and attorney's fees. So some of the things that employers should be looking at along these lines are, do you have access to PPE or personal protective equipment to provide to employees? These are things like gloves, masks, uh, protective eyewear, hand sanitizer. Uh, you're going to need to determine what PPE is appropriate for your work environment. Depending on your industry and your employees' job duties, if you don't provide PPE, you may risk employees refusing to come to work and filing claims for OSHA violations. Um, are you able to implement social distancing measures like keeping employees at least six feet apart, reducing the number of employees in the workplace at any one time, using uh, virtual rather than in-person meetings, or even rearranging or modifying your workspace to increase social distancing protections. And if you can't because of the nature of your industry, what other things can you do to protect your employees? Uh, will you be implementing employee screenings or testing to prevent sick employees from entering the workplace? How will you manage sanitizing the workplace? Who's gonna be in charge of that? Another thing that employers will wanna keep an eye on is the number of reported COVID-19 cases and deaths in their geographic region. So some states are reopening despite seeing an increase in cases, and employers are gonna to need to assess at what point they may be unable to provide for employee safety, even though their state has lifted restrictions on operations. So there's a lot of things to think about before jumping into reopening, and employers should regularly review uh, CDC and OSHA guidance on how to keep their employees safe. Thanks, Jamie. I, I know that's going to be a real conundrum for our employers when they see states uh, releasing uh, employees, employers to get back in the, into business. And now, you know, they've got to have a plan. 
And so, Julie, what does returning to work look like and how do employers get started? Thanks, Tom. This is the million dollar question right now, isn't it? Uh, Well, timing is still mostly unknown. There does seem to be an end in sight and employers are starting now to focus on what to do and how to get back to work, which is really good news for everyone. We're all rushing around trying to develop a process to get employees back to work and get revenue flowing again. The question is how? So how do we re-engage employees? How do we reopen physical workspaces? And most importantly, how to reach out to your customer base and reassure them that you're open and ready to do business. Because as we know, business, any business, is nothing without its customers. So I definitely want to start off by saying that there's no one-size-fits-all approach. So with that in mind, where do we start? Really, the best advice for employers is to put together a cross-functional team. So make sure you've got marketing, finance, IT, someone from sales and operations. Everyone needs to be at the table. And then start to talk about developing a plan. Leadership assumes a critical role in driving this planning process. If there can be any silver lining to all of this, it might be the opportunity to hit reset. As a perspective, as a leader, it's important to engage your next tier managers on their perspectives about the business. Ask someone from marketing about operations and see what they say. Then ask someone in facility management about marketing. Ask them to talk about how COVID has spilled over into their area and what was the impact. And then just listen. This is where new ideas are born. And this is how strong leaders will use this time to make changes to their culture, their vision, and consider things that they couldn't before when they were caught up in the chaos of day-to-day operations. As important and strong leadership is critical, and particularly in a crisis, there must be a solid communication plan in place. Knowing who will deliver key messages and when, identifying your key stakeholders and keeping everyone engaged in the process to reopen, this has to happen. So whether it's simply repositioning the physical space, checking on the mental well-being of your employees, or establishing protocols for everything from cleaning to taking employee temperatures, all of these variables should be spelled out and communicated to everyone, your employees, your vendors, your volunteers, your customers, anyone that might come into your workplace at any time. So in short, and at a very high level, have a plan and make sure you communicate it clearly. It's actually a very good time to over-communicate. Thanks, Julie. Uh, It's incredibly clear that communication and planning is the most important thing right now. So with that in mind, how do we take the, the planning process and make it simple and actionable? Big question. The details about how to do this will vary. I'm a visual person, so I have the picture in my head first, and it's usually helpful for me to start with the big picture, the strategy piece, and work down to a more tactical level. So really, the overarching plan for recovery here is a three-step process. You want to resolve, you want to re-engage, and you want to return. Employers need to identify and resolve any immediate issues, including mitigating any further risks, which actually might include a possible resurgence of the virus. Then you need to develop a transition plan to re-engage your workforce and establish this new working environment. This is again where leaders should pause and ask some probing questions. So really consider this plan more of a living document. The final step is for companies to move cautiously but deliberately to return workers and resume operations. So aside from establishing guidelines for everyone that focus on the basics of good hygiene, we've heard it 
all the time. Wash your hands, don't touch your face, and of course, make sure you sneeze into your elbow. And the general practice of people who feel sick should stay home. Employers really need to consider a phased approach to bring workers back so we don't just all jump back in at the same time. Thanks, Julie. Again, good practical advice. As I mentioned earlier, we heard this morning that as many as 30 states are going to open a phased approach to uh, business in the coming days and weeks. Can you help us understand what some of the first steps companies may consider in their phased approach to returning to work? Sure. It's a little bit like studying for a test. Sort of the pre-return to work is going to be essential. This is where you plan and you prepare for business to resume. Then you got to step back again and tweak your plan. So keep thinking about that communication plan, how you're going to re-engage your different audiences, what is your message. So some basic things you're going to need to consider. You need a transition plan, a plan to recall employees with a detailed plan to return to work. We've talked about a phased approach with staggered shifts and modifications to the physical workplace, more of a slow re-entry. Once you have your timeline, you need to look at the critical functions and assess your talent. Another bright spot, actually, um, from an HR standpoint, this is an opportunity to look at skills and see if people might be better aligned in another position. What's that old saying? You need to have the right people in the right seats on the bus. Um, that's now. So focus on the needs of the organization as you review job descriptions. And make changes that strategically align with your vision. With your vision, hire the talent you need and bring together a winning team. Be prepared to provide whatever training is needed to existing staff, new staff, or both. That's a really great point about training, Julie. I, I think that's usually where we see companies cut. You know, the HR topic of training. Let's just cut it when there's a slowdown, right? So, right now, I think there's an opportunity in this case, and maybe even a necessity that companies need to actually invest in the team, right? Spend that time now. They should be open-minded, think about, you know, starting to develop the staffing plans, in many cases, recruiting plans, right? We need to actually add to staff in, in certain cases and be prepared to train those employees as they move into new roles. Um, you know, I think leadership should be thinking about training managers and supervisors, especially and this new normal is going to require a whole new set of skills. And as we know, we do a lot of manager training. Managers sometimes just get the manager title and they don't really have the, the skill sets to actually manage. So there's going to be a whole new slew of skills that they're going to need to know. Um, new topics include managing the remote workforce, obviously, how to address attendance, performance concerns. So talking openly about these topics and clearly setting expectations is going to be essential. Absolutely agree. Training needs to remain a focus area for sure. Thanks, Rebecca. Recruiting and onboarding should always involve training. Um, so with that in mind, if we look back at building a team and building a new team, we're going to want to take advantage of a good onboarding process. So focus on the team, focus the team on new organizational goals. And you want to revise individual goals based on new duties. Focus more on a 30, 60, 90 day approach smaller, more digestible chunks, short-term goals that recognize how quickly times are changing right now. A few other critical components, you gotta review your policy structure. I think we can pretty much all agree that most of these policies that we have in place were not written with a pandemic in mind. Literally no one ever could have imagined this, so policies need to be adjusted. Review, review your technology. Will your technology get you where you need to go? And finally, prepare your workspace and your people to return to work. 
Thanks, Julie. So clearly pre-work is, is, is absolutely critical. The, um, the, the old saying of measure twice and cut once, if you will, it's really important. So how about the phases themselves, Julie? Can you break those down for us? Well, generally three phases seems to be the fit right now, um, fits the current need, and it seems to be what most countries and states are outlining. But in all phases, employers need to be focused on safety and wellness and balance this with good practices to resume business operations. So let me break it down a little bit. Um, phase one, you're really just setting the stage. This is the warm up, a soft opening, if you will. So if employees can continue to work from home, they should. And you should be including this in your transition plan. Prioritize your essential workers, folks that are either still working or have already returned in some capacity. The workplace will be open and guidelines need to be established and followed. Employees need to work with their supervisor to coordinate schedules and make sure you give employees at least two weeks notice of the plan to return back to work. We recommend no travel be allowed in phase one and consistent with this, no visitors be allowed in the workplace. This might be kind of obvious, but it's one of those things I think that needs to be said. Phase two is when we're going to see a little bit more of a significant transition. There should really not be a set timeline on when phase two can start. Companies need to be evaluating how things are going both at work um, and in their larger community. Check for any recurrence and monitor CDC guidelines and be flexible as much as possible. As more employees begin to return to the workplace, take a look at schedules again. See if you can stagger shifts or even days to limit the amount of people coming and going at once. Meetings should continue to be virtual and as much as possible, and employees should be able to express their concern. If they're concerned about having a meeting in person, uh, employers should be listening to this. Um, employers should not be forcing employees into uncomfortable situations. CDC guidelines should be followed, certainly with respect to wearing masks and social distancing and continue to minimize employee travel, only essential travel at this point. Um, I'll pause there. Any other thoughts on this phase of the transition from my panelists, my fellow panelists? Yeah, I, I think this is gonna be a critical stage. Um, companies need to be able to flex, just as when we transitioned to working from home status, things had to be figured out. You know, in some cases it took more time and effort. And so the reverse is gonna be true when we phase back in. So I don't think companies should feel the need to rush and to just kind of pause and, and kind of get their direction from how the employees are feeling and how people are ramping back up. Yeah, you are so right. We definitely all want to get back to normal. So let's talk a little bit about phase three. Um, phase three really, as much as we want to get there, it's still not going to be business as usual. Um, we're starting to set the stage for what the new work environment will be, sort of a glimpse of that new normal that Tom talked about. But again, no set timelines. We suggest at least two weeks after phase two was introduced and you've had some clear, positive, steady results. You need to continue to monitor your community, infection rates, um, and as duties allow, more employees should be encouraged to return to the workplace. This is a key point here. Employers need to have a process for selecting employees who will continue to be allowed to work remotely. Create a process and absolutely the golden rule of HR, be consistent. So consider folks that may have issues with childcare, employees that might be high risk as defined by the CDC, 
or employees with legitimate safety concerns. All of this needs to be part of the discussion. And be prepared for employees to hesitate. They're gonna have anxiety, and some will flat out refuse to come back to work. So anticipate that, plan for that. Work with your team to make everyone feel comfortable and reassured. Um, as things begin to settle down, travel restrictions can be loosened. However, we still recommend that all employees and visitors should continue to follow safety guidelines. Um, and as even you're talking about bringing employees back into the workspace, you need to be sensitive about your communication out to your customer base as well. You want to make sure that they feel reassured that coming into your workplace is safe and that their safety is top of mind for you. Um, and it seems important to note, too, that even a well-planned return to work can be derailed. Companies absolutely have to be prepared to step back and consider other options. So the ability to remain flexible and pivot now more than ever is critical. If the virus does have a reoccurrence, you need to know how you will respond, and so does your team. So if you're in phase two, maybe plan to step back to phase one. I've actually seen some employers ask about the legalities of selecting workers and not all workers. So maybe if they furloughed 100 people and they want to bring back 80. Jamie, what would you suggest to employers who might be considering something like this? Well, um, every employers every employer should have a strategy on how they want to bring back employees and they may not be ready to bring everyone back all at once. So they're going to need to make a determination of who they want to bring back in different phases. So one way of doing that, for example, would be to review the job descriptions or job duties of their employees to determine who's a key employee that is essential to the business operation, right? Somebody like maybe you need your accounting team, right? So things get paid and you can account for your uh, income. Another way would be to bring people back based on some other objective criteria, such as based on seniority. So bringing back uh, first those who have been there the longest. Mm -hmm. So one question that we're hearing frequently from employers is, do I have to bring back the poor performers? And so rather than look at a return to business as usual, some employers are looking at a broader strategy of how their business operates. Having had this time of reduced operation can be an opportunity to rethink how the business operates and how to be efficient on a leaner work model. For example, uh, you know, this would involve maybe looking at your metrics and finding where the gaps are to determine if they need to be filled or if they're unnecessary. Um, once you have a vision for how your business could operate, you can formulate a plan for a possible reorganization or shifting resources to meet the business needs. Uh, th thanks, Jamie, uh, and, and thank you, Julie. Getting people back to work and bringing people back into the workplace is without question one of the most top of mind questions that um, that we're getting and that we have. So Jamie, um, with this in mind, can an employer require employees to test for COVID-19 before returning to work? This is a big one. <laughs> so the short answer is yes. The EEOC recently updated its uh, What You Should Know website with information related to testing for COVID-19. So you're saying, well, what does this entail? Well, employers uh, can require that employees get tested for COVID-19 before they're permitted to return to work. So employees who get tested should provide some kind of documentation supporting their fitness for duty. 
Uh, and the EEOC said this could be something like a healthcare provider form, a healthcare stamp, or email. Uh, because of the current inaccessibility of tests and the testing response time, employers should provide employees with enough advance notice of this requirement so that they can plan accordingly. Uh, the other thing that's uh, new and big is that the EEOC said employers can test employees themselves before permitting them to return to work. So the EEO says this must be done in a manner to ensure accurate and reliable results. Uh, and keep in mind the test should be conducted in a sanitary and confidential environment. So there's many things to consider if you're selecting this option, such as the quality of the test, right? Testing has not really been standardized yet, uh, and the quality varies widely. Um, think about the invasiveness of the test. Uh, saliva tests would be among the least invasive to employees and the easiest to administer. Uh, and training of the person administering the test if this is something that will be done in-house. So employers should be reviewing guidance from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration about what, what may or may not be considered safe and accurate testing, uh, as well as any guidance from the CDC or other public health authorities. Uh, employers can also connect with their benefits plan provider to see if the cost of testing will be covered in this scenario. Uh, and because everything is newly emerging in this area, it's not really clear yet on where to easily get tests or who should be administering them. And keep in mind, some uh, states may have restrictions on who can conduct the testing. So be sure to keep an eye on this as more tests become available and this becomes more of a, a standardized thing. Thanks, Jamie. This this has been a really hot topic for um, especially manufacturing. Um, they, they're still in operation. They want to test these employees when they were coming back. Um, but the tests are hard to come by, and we've had trouble even locating who could come to the facility to do it. But a lot of these employers are taking temperatures, and so that's been another big thing that everyone's been asking about. Can I do that? Can, what can I write down? Do I write down the person's name, the temp? Is it positive, negative? How, what about the legalities? with all of that? So employers can take employee temperatures upon uh, entry to the workplace. I know a lot of um, hospitals and things are doing this every time any staff person walks into the hospital, whether it's back from break uh, or, you know, just at the beginning of the day. Um, you know, the person administering the temperature reading should be trained in how to conduct the reading accurately. Uh, this should also be done in a confidential and sanitary environment. If the person has a temperature over, say, 100.4 degrees, uh, the employer should not allow the employee further onto the premises and should send them home immediately. Um, the employee may be able to use their paid sick leave or vacation time to cover this absence. Um, but keep in mind, too, that a normal temperature reading does not uh, necessarily mean that the person does not have the virus. So this is just um, one other tool in the toolbox to help employers determine what, you know, whether or not their, their workplace is safe. Yeah, the whole idea of taking temperatures in a workplace is scary, but it brings up another point too. What about asking general questions about employee health? Is that allowed? Yeah, so employers can ask if employees are experiencing symptoms related to COVID-19. Um, although employers can't ask about a medical diagnosis, they can inquire about what symptoms the employee may be experiencing. So uh, employers should be relying on the CDC and other um, public health authorities or reputable medical sources for guidance on the emerging symptoms that are related with the disease. 
Um, the CDC recently added new symptoms associated with COVID-19 to its official list. Um, so that's something to definitely stay on top of. And this is, again, another thing that should be done in a confidential setting. Um, and, you know, if you're using COVID-19 testing as a barrier to reentry uh, to the workplace, keep in mind that accurate testing only reveals if the virus is currently present. A negative test does not mean the employee will not acquire the virus later. Um, and there's also some issue with false negatives out there. Um, also, there's currently no clear scientific answer to whether people who have recovered from the virus will be immune to it later. So antibody testing may not be as effective for employers as testing for current viral infection. Um, for any employee administering temperature exams or COVID-19 testing, employers should provide them with PPE, including training on how to properly use the PPE. Um, and whatever measures employers take, they must be applied consistently in a non-discriminatory manner. Uh, employers must also ensure confidentiality of any medical information that is obtained or stored in connection with COVID-19 injury or inquiries or testing. Great information, Jamie, thank you. So, you know, when we start to think now about the new normal, one of the things from an HR perspective that comes immediately to the forefront is around policy and the policy structure that, that we had pre-COVID and now what is that going to look like in the post-COVID environment? And some of the legal requirements obviously around that for returning to work. Yeah, so as, as employees return to regular work environments, there's going to be a few handbook policies they may want to consider adding or just revising. Um, removing policies that are no longer appropriate, so if they had a reduction in force, they fell below the 50 mark, FMLA, for example, could be removed. They wanted to not follow that anymore. Um, we also want to take into consideration the new legislation, so um, Families First Act. We've already handled a, a bunch of requests for leave um, kind of on the fly. But now is a good time to solidify that process, make sure employees understand their rights for it. Um, not, uh, not all employees even understand it's available yet, right? It's so brand new. The poster went out, but everybody is at home. And so now is a good time to kind of hone that in and make sure everybody understands what's available to them uh, for the remainder of the year. Um, if there are policies that were created as a result of changing circumstances, um, you know, address whether or not they want to keep those as permanent policies or not. Do they want to, if they have a remote policy, do they want to now change it when everyone's coming back? But to that point, a telework remote policy is probably something people are going to want to either put in place or keep in place or tighten up. Um, many employers implemented it and modified it as they, as they you know, got these stay-at-home orders, right, from the states. So as an employer, um, may have found that the arrangement has worked really well right? Um, employees were actually productive. Surprise, surprise, they can actually work from home. And people welcome the flexibility. Obviously, this was all kind of put upon us at once, but it could be that it actually is working well for certain positions. Um, so let's figure out, are there any gaps that we need to address? And then just put, the, put some more parameters around the actual policy and say, okay, this is a telecommuting policy and it's, it's here to stay, so we're going to put it in the handbook. Um, let's see, you, want, you also want to determine regulations around attendance. I mean, that's going to be big. Um, following company procedures while they're out, working a normal schedule, maintaining productivity, being available during set work hours. So I know working from home can be kind of 
an open-ended amount of time where you just seem to always be working and unloading the dishwasher at the same time. But there needs to be set, you know, listen, you need to be available on your phone from eight to five or whatever the hours are. So communicating the process, the office setup, making sure people have supplies, that type of thing, that's going to be really important. Yeah, thanks, Rebecca. You know, it, it, it seems like we're doing everything now from staff meetings to to company happy hours via video conference. So, you know, now that that's become our primary source of and form of interaction, will employers need to rethink policies around proper use? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the COVID forced a lot of employers and employees, myself included, everyone at One Digital knows I'm not a big fan of looking at myself. Um, so everybody had to get really comfortable with this and really quickly. Um, so the use of video conferencing has been beneficial. It's providing more personal interactions than just picking up the phone. Um, you know, it's cutting out a ton of travel here in Boston. We are just inundated with traffic, not right now, but in normal times. And so this is going to be a great way to kind of keep that going to say, you know, what zoom works really well other video conferencing works really well let's keep this up so but let's put a policy around it um, I think it's worth kind of looking at that to say what are the expectations in terms of using it what are the best practices to keep in mind and I'm just gonna throw it out there that the first bullet of the policy policy should say that you have to be wearing pants <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so other programs to think about, um, leave donation. This is something that um, some of our clients already had in place. It's, it's not the most popular, but it's an interesting one to discuss. And certainly now it's more important. So these programs allow employees to voluntarily donate their accumulated time, sick personal sick time that, they've, that they have that they don't think they're going to use and to be put in a bank for a catastrophic use by another employee. So the donated time is used to assist somebody who doesn't have any time off left, uh, time off left, um, who needs to be out for a period of time, either for, let's say, their own illness, to take care of children, um, you know, hardship of some sort. So this is a program that is usually very voluntary on the employee's part. It doesn't cost the employer anything. Um, and time that might otherwise be lost at the end of the year can now be put to good use. Um, the other one that I would probably mention is the communicable disease policy. Not, not a very fun thing to talk about, but this is obviously what we're living in right now. So consider a policy to communicate how we will handle communicable diseases in the workplace. Um, companies can't discriminate against applicants or employees based on having or had have a disease. Um, so we need to make sure that companies are complying with regulations concerning this matter as much as possible to protect the privacy of those who potentially could have a communicable disease. We've already heard from clients that word gets out, a particular person has tested positive in the workplace or a family member that they live with has tested positive. People start talking, we shouldn't be sharing names, but it happens and then they're coming back to work with proper documentation from their position, clearing them and they're working confidentially with HR, but now suddenly they're being treated differently. Yeah. So that I think is something that we really need to keep an eye on. The other big thing is vacation. If anybody remembers what those are, it's time off from work to have fun. So states, when they start to reopen and people start feeling more comfortable going outside and traveling, they're gonna wanna take their time off that they've accrued. So we need to prepare for a wave of requests and how are you gonna manage that? 
as a company. So if you're going to have to deny requests for needs of the business, I mean, potentially you're going to be ramping up quite a bit and you're going to need people to do that work. What are you going to do with people who say, well, I've earned this time and maybe I've even been working more since I've been home and I need a break. So you might want to think about paying it out in cash, saying, you know what, we can't allow vacations at this time, but we will pay you for the time. Maybe you allow more carryover. So instead of 40, you allow 80 hours of carryover so they can use it in 2021. So coming up with some creative ways to tweak the policies that we have in place to fit the state that we're in right now. Great stuff. Great stuff, Rebecca. Um, all right, this is the, the, the million-dollar question that we seem to be getting more than just about any other, and that's what should an employer do if they have an employee who's not comfortable coming back to the office? Yeah. This is a very popular question these mm-hmm. days. Uh, probably hourly, we get this question. So communication and flexibility is going to be absolutely key for this situation. There has to be an open dialogue with employees who have concerns about returning to work. Is it because they have a childcare issue? That's going to be a a number one concern for a lot of people. Um, Are they worried about exposure to the virus? Some people are very worried about that. They're not going out at all. Some people are a little bit more lax. Or are they just simply happy wearing sweatpants all day long from now? You know, it's like, I'll admit, I just put heels on for the first time in six weeks and my feet are, what is going on here? So I get it. But so I think there just needs to be that open back and forth. And I don't think there's going to be a black and white answer for each situation. I think companies have to have empathy for differing situations and work out solutions to get employees comfortable when they're ready to come back. But you know, there are going to be employees that just are going to flat out refuse. So I would defer to Jamie on the legalities of that one. What if they won't come back, Jamie? (laughs) Well, I would say that the short answer is that if someone is not otherwise protected by the ADA, FMLA, or some other legal protection, an employer can let someone go who refuses to come to work. But the reality is that we are seeing employers want to be understanding during this challenging time. Employers are letting employees use accrued, unused paid sick leave or paid time off, or granting unpaid leaves of absence during this time to accommodate employee concerns. Uh, Employers are also shifting to allowing remote work, if that's feasible for them, where they may not have been willing to do so prior to COVID-19. And it's key to have a set policy and apply it consistently to avoid claims of discrimination. Now, with that being said, many times the situation may not be as cut and dry as they just don't want to come into the office. As Rebecca said, they may be claiming they have to care for their children or they have a medical condition that puts them at risk. So in these instances, you need to allow employees to apply for the appropriate protected leave like FMLA or engage in the interactive process for employees who may be protected under the ADA, Americans with Disabilities Act. Um, So just as a word of caution, employers should be very careful in managing this process before they start firing everyone who doesn't want to come to work. So also keep in mind that employees may refuse to work if they reasonably believe they're in imminent danger. And OSHA defines imminent danger to mean any dangerous condition in the workplace that can reasonably be expected to cause death or serious uh, physical harm. Um, you know, before the the danger can be eliminated through OSHA's enforcement procedures. So be mindful of the safety measures you are putting in place to protect employees. 
Great. Again, thank you. Uh, thank you, Rebecca and Jamie. You know, today we've talked a lot about business plans, compliance, and policy. But what about the human side of this pandemic? I mean, we're seeing headlines every day about emotional and mental health, stress, and anxiety that people are experiencing. There's not always a management playbook for these kinds of challenges. Are there ways that employers can, better, can be better prepared for this? Yeah, I'll take that one. Great question, Tom. Um, and this is a huge concern for everyone. I just saw a recent study that cited a, a huge increase in the level of stress in the workplace. No surprise there. Um, we know there's always stress, but this is a whole new reality for everyone. A staggering 88% feel stress, and almost 70% state this is the worst stress they've felt in their entire professional careers. Those are staggering numbers. So, People are going to have mixed feelings about coming out of the whole the quarantine, stay-at-home isolation bubble and returning back to the routine of work and daily life. People might be relieved at first, but then the stress from new issues like monitoring yourself or being monitored by others for symptoms might actually introduce some new feelings of anger and frustration, maybe resentment. Employees may feel guilty about not being able to do their jobs with children at home. Uh, different parental responsibilities, homeschooling, and with no other option but to stay at home. So really the bottom line, employers need to be compassionate and supportive. Leaders need to be authentic and convey genuine concern for their people right now. Make resources such as employee assistance programs, EAPs, available, provide self-assessment tools, find out how your team is doing. It is critically important to stay connected right now. And just because I'm an HR person, I get to circle back to training. You really want to train your managers to help them recognize the signs and symptoms of stress and depression. Um, put managers in a position to encourage team members to seek help. It might be as simple as looking for signs that employees might be struggling. So maybe employees are taking more sick days than usual. You might see some mood swings. Anything that might be out of character should be a concern. Employees that seem distant and any drops in productivity that can't be explained with the circumstances might suggest a problem. And most importantly on the policy front and what Rebecca talked about a minute ago, employers you need to provide your managers with tools and protocols to follow when they do see behavior that is concerning to them. Yeah, it's crazy that we're expecting managers to triage employee mental health issues now, but this is where we're at, right? It's no longer the standard manager 101 slide deck that we're working off of. Um, it's similar to anti-harassment discrimination issues, though. I mean, managers as agents of the company need to be cognizant of how employees are feeling and proactively get ahead of issues that could arise from unusual stress. We need to remember that someone can seem fine, they're doing their job, they put on the happy face, but there could be more to the story going on there. I've been speaking with you know, my coworkers over Zoom and my friends, my clients, the employees that work at my client's sites, just checking in with them. And we're all sympathizing with how quarantining has affected normal, fun life, right? We've had either a birthday go by or um, a family member's birthday go by without the regular fanfare. We had to set up a parade on the street. Um, weddings are being postponed or people are having them and they have no guests at all. Babies are being born. 
and they're only being held by their parents or siblings and no one else. Uh, high school students, I feel so badly for these high school kids missing out on prom, graduations, all the big parties that mark that significant time in their life. Um, but some of what's become the new normal might affect your employees' well-being as they resume regular work schedules and spaces. So, for example, I know quite a few people who've gotten new pets. It's a great idea. Everybody's home. Everyone can walk the dog. Tom did it. I'm actually in the market for a lab. Um, but the flip side is, just like with kids, you know, you're going to go, you've been home all this time. It's wonderful. And now you're going back to work. There's going to be some separation anxiety. Like, this seriously could go on there. But that's just the tip of, like, many icebergs. I think we have to think about. We know people are frustrated, parents are frustrated and tired with the homeschooling and the assignments, but we need to consider that you know some employees are dealing with children who were behind and they needed extra help during the school year. Um, so they're going to fall way farther behind and then all the stress is going to kick in in the fall when they get back to school and these parents are going to have to deal with that. Um, on top of it, um, Childcare, right? So we know schools are closed for the remainder of the year in many states. Summer camp is in question, and a lot of people have even lost their spots at daycares due to non-payment. So they're going to have to start all over again looking for somebody to take care of their young kids. Schools and camps, they're actually, they are a source of breakfast and lunch for a lot of employees' children. And so I think we have to remember that employees are dealing not only with a potentially a loss of income, but a means to take care of themselves in many different ways. Other stressors for parents might include dealing with children who have anxiety, depression. Um, they don't know what COVID is. They're confused. They hear the news. They hear us talking. I have to, I have to remember that myself, that I have little ears in the room and it's really probably not stuff that she should be listening to. And I've had friends who said they are now getting up in the middle of the night because their little ones are having nightmares and asking if their parents are going to die. You know? So, I mean, this isn't, this goes way beyond regular parenting stress. Um, Another thing is considering people's relationships with their spouses, their partners, their families. Um, work can unfortunately be a safe place for people to go during the day to escape domestic violence. And returning employees may have been subject to unhealthy relationships that have been almost impossible to escape with nowhere to go and no one to talk to for this entire time. And even good relationships are strained with the constant togetherness and pressures of this new working and living environment. So it's a lot. Yeah, actually, Rebecca, I'll add to that. Um, you know, the, the marital tension is one thing, but we're also seeing a, a really disturbing spike um, in cases of child abuse. So children that would normally be going to school to escape this harsh reality of home life um, are now in the home environment. Um, so everyone really needs to be sensitive to others now, I think, more than ever and, and be kind and understand that everybody is dealing with their own set of circumstances at home and, and really don't pass judgment on others and, you know, be supportive. Um, there's just so many layers to this that, that we are just beginning to understand and probably won't see for months and probably even years. That's right. That's right. And I, you know, hate to put this one out there, but it is a reality. There's deaths, right? So I've spoken to a lot of people who have loved ones that have passed away, either by COVID or just other reasons, and they're not able to grieve properly, uh, right? So I, the effects, I can't even comprehend it to not have a funeral or a memorial service or whatever it is that you would choose to do. You're not even able to be around family and friends who can give you a hug 
during such an awful time. So it's just that has blown me away. It hasn't affected me personally, and I, I hope it doesn't. And it's just I just feel terribly for these employees that I've spoken to that have had that happen. So my, my point is, I'm not to bring everybody down, but I don't think we can assume to know everything about our employees and our coworkers and what they've been through and what they're going to continue to struggle with for some period of time. I think leaders need to have empathy. Again, I don't think we can use that word enough. Um, it doesn't come naturally to everybody. So we need to be aware of it and consider that we all have different lives and employees could be returning to work with a much different mind frame than when they left six weeks ago. Um, not everybody has a deck that they can go sit on and enjoy the sun. Not everybody has a yard to send the kids out to play for a few hours. Um, not everybody has a hiking trail that near their house. Not everybody even has a car. So they can't even jump in their car and just change the scenery to get out of the house for a little while. So not everyone deals with unprecedented times in the same way, and not everybody has the same means to do so. So I think companies would benefit from just remembering this and giving employees a reasonable amount of time to reacclimate to what this new normal is going to end up being and just kind of keep that on top of mind. Well, this, uh, this has been a great discussion, team. Thank you for all of your insights. And I think it's probably a appropriate time to mention that, you know, this is the tip of the iceberg with this topic of returning to work. And uh, our intention uh, at this point is to continue this dialogue. We're looking at perhaps having another session like this to take a little deeper dive next week for you. So uh, stay tuned. Uh, please, again, uh, visit our website and the uh, Coronavirus Advisory Hub for updates. So right now, uh, we typically receive hundreds of questions at this point in the webinar. So we, uh, we do have a few minutes left, so we'd like to, uh, to jump into a few that uh, seem to be trending right now. Um, here's here's a, an interesting question that's, uh, that's very, very real for, for most of us who are going into an office. So I'm gonna just throw the question out there and team, you know, please jump in as you uh, feel appropriate to, to help with an answer. So this question is, what do we see as best practice as it relates to water coolers and coffee makers wearing masks and removing gloves? Uh, Tom, I'll, I'll jump in on this one. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I would say that there's gonna be a significant change on how we do things, right? Communal food is really gonna be going the way of the dodo, right? <laughs> um, there's gonna be no more big party trays of food sitting out for work uh, lunches. Food is gonna have to be individually wrapped. Dishes are gonna need to be put away. They can't be sitting out on the counter. Um, you may even switch to disposable uh, cups and utensils or things uh, if you don't have a dishwasher to sanitize them. And even if you do have a dishwasher, do you put them away with gloves and a mask? Uh, maybe people bring their own dishes. There's so many things to consider here. Yeah, I, I got very sad today. I came into the office and no one's here in my, our, our great office here in Canton. And uh, for all my Canton friends out there, it's sad to go into the kitchen and see all the bowls of M&Ms that we used to stand around and chat with. I think we're gonna have to throw all that out, but yeah, we'll figure out a new way. <laughs> All right, thanks guys. Um, another question coming in from, a, it looks like from an insurance perspective, uh, what, are, what are best practices, vendors, and this goes back to um, one of the comments that, um, that you all covered earlier on, what are the best practices, vendors, 
costs and potential reimbursement for testing. Um, so I'll, I'll take this. Um, you know, I, I think it's too early to say that there are any best practices. Uh, we just, just don't know yet. Things are moving very, very quickly. Uh, vendors are still being vetted and many are developing approaches to deliver these services to, to employers on site as uh, I, I believe Julie and Rebecca both mentioned. Um, I think in general, uh, all major health insurance companies are currently covering the member cost share for related diagnostic testing, visits, and treatment uh, of COVID-19 through the end of May. And again, we have to remember that uh, these tests must be ordered by a, a physician. So, um, you know, again, that, uh, that, that puts a little bit of process around it. Um, the good news is we do have a team at One Digital that's currently working, you know, on this topic. And so far, uh, they've been able to identify a number of vendors that uh, plan to offer these services. So we're going to stay very close to this topic and, Again, perhaps in an update uh, as we go into next week, uh, we'll keep you uh, we'll keep you apprised on um, what the latest uh, what the latest is there, including including cost. Tom, I'll I'll jump in here as well. Uh, it, it was just announced that uh, LA City and County is going to be offering free testing for all residents, and I expect that we'll see this likely to be a trend in some of the more major metropolitan areas. So keep that in mind as well. Oh, that's great. Thanks, Jamie. Okay, um, we've got a, another question uh, regarding compensation, not something that we really talked about yet today. Uh, are there compensation considerations that we need to be thinking about as employees are returning? Julie, you, you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, sure. I'll jump in on that one. Um, yeah, just just this morning, saw a new number for unemployment, over 30 million. Uh, that's just mind blowing. So vast amounts of employees that have had reductions in hours and salaries. Employers really are looking to manage this compensation question. And for a lot of companies, a lot of businesses, this comes down to really a survival question. Um, so companies are looking at a, a, a mix of strategies. So reconsidering pay raises for 2020. Uh, some are looking to adjust performance metrics for annual incentives. So that's a whole changing landscape right now. We're also seeing employers offering retention bonuses um, to, to retain some of their top talent. I talked about that a little bit ago when you're really building those winning teams. Assess the talent that you have and recognize your, your strong performers and do everything that you can to keep them happy. Um, they're the ones that are really going to you know, be the bones of pulling you through this. Um, questions about hazard pay are coming up. And by definition, um, this is the threat. Uh, Jamie talked about this a little bit, something dangerous. So really the question is, um, is the fear of exposure considered a hazard? Is that a physical threat? Uh, most companies right now so far are not offering hazard pay. We haven't seen a trend in that direction. I think it's a little bit like workers comp. Um, it's gonna be hard, I think, at the end of the day to tie the virus and the threat of exposure to the physical workplace. So we're probably gonna see that one continue to evolve as well. Yep, yep. Thanks, Julie. Um, Hey Jamie, uh, here, here's here's one for you. Uh, are uh, are companies making their employees sign off on new office policies before returning to work? 
So this is actually a great question. Um, this is an opportunity for employers to get their employees caught up on any missing paperwork. Uh, like, you know, if there's been a new requirement that's come into place. Uh, an example for California is that now employers have to distribute a lactation policy at the time of hire. Um, so if maybe you hadn't quite got there yet or employees haven't received it, definitely include that as something that, uh, you know, you want to use going forward when bringing employees back. Um, typically, if they've been furloughed, um, there's there's nothing um, specifically new in that area because, you know, they've signed their documents and they've remained employees during that time. If you are rehiring people from a layoff, uh, you're going to want them to resign their uh, key documents, their uh, arbitration agreement, confidentiality agreement, handbook acknowledgement, all of those things that you would typically have them sign. Uh, it's a great opportunity to make sure they're signing the most current and up-to-date versions of your policies and agreements. Um, also, you'll want to have them uh, complete the, the newest W-4 form that is brand new for 2020. Um, if uh, somebody has is being re rehired within uh, three years when thinking about the, the form I-9, you can use the rehire section of the current version of the form. Remember, that's another one that got recently updated. Everybody's required to be using it. Um, you, don't you don't need to reconfirm uh, work authorization if they've already been authorized to work. However, if you look back and see that somebody had um, an expiration of their work authorization, you will need to make sure that you do um, review their documents as part of that reauthorization process. So there's a lot of things to think about. You want to make sure you uh, provide them with any required uh, onboarding pamphlets that are required by your state or local authorities. Um, so you'll want to treat it largely similar to a regular sort of onboarding process. Great. Thanks, Jamie. Uh, here's, uh, here's an interesting one as well, um, and I have seen this come up a lot. A lot of questions about restricting employees when they're not at work. So regarding personal travel and vacations, what do you think about that, team? Well, nobody's getting vacations right now, so that shouldn't be a concern <laughs> yet. Um, I think I think that's something that's going to evolve. I think um, companies need to look at back to Rebecca's point of writing a policy. I mean, there's a fine line where companies should start and stop, but um, there should be some restrictions around personal travel where you could be going to a restricted area and potentially bringing that back to the workplace. Um, so I think we're going to continue to need to look at those restrictions and how that's going to overlap the workplace. Um, legally, Jamie, what are your thoughts on, on actually putting a stake in the ground and saying that people can't travel personally? Well, um, unfortunately, employers cannot uh, limit legal activity of employees outside the workplace. So if they want to go to a family member's funeral, you really technically can't prevent them from doing that. But having those other measures in place um, to help secure the workplace, like, you know, requiring uh, testing on return to work, taking temperatures, those kinds of things can help sort of minimize uh, those effects. Uh, if you have the ability to allow somebody to work remotely after they've gone and traveled someplace, uh, you may want to implement that as an accommodation and say, hey, you know, I know you would just travel to the next state over for uh, personal 
measures and as long as it doesn't impact the terms uh, or conditions of their employment, say, hey, you know, why don't you work from home for the next two weeks, make sure everything's all good. So, you know, there's some, some strategies you can use to work around it, but unfortunately you can't tell them that they can't do something they're otherwise legally able to do. So much of this comes back to policy and consistency at the end of the day, doesn't it? It's incredible. And I think there needs to be a lot of trust and communication between employer and employees. So if I think that I'm going to get in trouble, I'm probably not going to tell you about it, right? So, but if there's that transparency of, listen, just let us know um, that you need to go do X, Y, Z that might be out of the norm in these times. And we'll work with you to Jamie's point to either stay at home for a few weeks or, or whatever. But I think, you know, as long as you're open and have the back and forth trust, then you're going to get more information than not. Okay. Uh, we're, we're kind of running out of time team. And again, I can't thank you enough. And thank you, Julie, Rebecca, Jamie. And I want to thank all of you for joining us today. I also want to remind you that we have an incredible team of HR professionals and consultants here at one digital and we are here to help you at any stage of, of this process that you're in and look forward to having those conversations. So uh, please uh, reach out to us or certainly your, uh, your uh, One Digital Benefits consultant. And there's no question that, uh, that living through the coronavirus experience has not been a pleasant one, but we do know that there are brighter days ahead. So what we heard today has provided us with an opportunity to reset consider strategic perspectives, include some tactical and legal ones, and most importantly, consider the human factor in all of this. We hope that we've had, we've discussed today, will provide you with some new options to consider and information to share with your teams. Remember, focus on the recovery plan that best, best fits you, your culture, and your business. And again, don't forget to connect with one of us or one of your one digital benefit consultants who can help put that, all of what you heard today into action. All attendees will receive an email with a video replay of this session. And each employee advisory session is also available as a podcast. And you can view past sessions on our COVID-19 advisory hub at once again, onedigital.com forward slash coronavirus. We hope you stay healthy, stay connected with your family, friends, and coworkers. And we'll see you next time. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you for listening to this episode of One Digital's COVID-19 Employer Advisory Podcast. There's never been a time more than now during which our commitment to standing as one with our customers and providing peace of mind is more important. We are committed to providing the guidance you need to make complex decisions, even in the most challenging times. For additional resources, thought leadership, or for the latest employer information related to the COVID-19 pandemic, please visit onedigital.com forward slash coronavirus. Thank you.